Tonight, calls for justice as protests spread across North America and around the world. Plus, bracing for the worst in the B.C. communities that could soon be underwater. And I would not be surprised if we did have one or two cases perhaps arise in our schools. Back to school tomorrow. Why some parents are willing to take a calculated risk. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Another night of unrest in a situation that shows no signs of abating. The death of George Floyd, an unarmed black man in Minneapolis at the hands of police, has reignited anger and frustration about racial injustice. Tonight, protesters are marching in America, in cities across Canada and around the world. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin our coverage here in Vancouver. Paul Johnson is live downtown at the Vancouver Art Gallery, where thousands are rallying against racism. Paul. Colleen, a massive crowd down here in downtown Vancouver. In fact, I think much bigger than anticipated. We were talking to the organizers before this got started, and they said they were hoping that they would have a turnout of between 500 and 5,000. I think they've easily hit that mark, if not exceeded it. Take a look behind me here. The crowd actually cannot even be contained by the North Square of the art gallery here. It's spilled out across the street, um, across Georgia Street. They've now had to close down Howe Street. Uh, they've had to close down Georgia. There's no traffic moving there. In fact, a lot of the people who have attended this probably can't even hear the speakers who are talking on the steps because they're so far back and they don't have an actual PA system set up there, but they're still feeling like this is a very meaningful demonstration to be part of. There were several moments where they were chanting. They were chanting Black Lives Matter. At one point, you saw thousands of people all holding their fists in the air in solidarity with this movement. We spoke with the organizer shortly before, and he said one of the key things that he wanted to have happen here was that this would be a peaceful movement. Here's what he had to say. And I can't stress more than enough that this will be a peaceful protest. We don't need a violence. We don't need a riot. We don't need to destroy our community here. That's not what needed. We are peaceful, polite. Canadians are polite. We are peacekeepers. And this is exactly what we're going to do here. Of course, one of the concerns that's been raised here is how does this factor into the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and the need for social distancing? You can see that's not really possible here. Dr. Bonnie Henry apparently put out a statement even expressing some of her concerns about this. One thing I would say is about half the people are wearing masks here and are distancing where they can. But I can tell you, this is certainly the biggest gathering that we've seen in British Columbia, if not in all of Western Canada, since the pandemic lockdown started. So far, it continues to remain peaceful. Colleen? Paul, thank you. Peaceful indeed, but many of the protests south of the border have turned violent and led to looting and vandalism. Despite curfews imposed in many cities and the National Guard called in, tens of thousands remain defiantly on the streets. Kristen Robinson has that part of the story. Seattle may be broken, but its citizens are not. Volunteers poured into the downtown core Sunday, scrubbing graffiti off buildings and storefronts, 
and helping city crews clean up after a peaceful protest turned violent Saturday. Police and civilians injured as a demonstration escalated into a riot. Vehicles burned and businesses looted. The mayor declared a 5 p.m. curfew and the National Guard was called in. 55 people were arrested. These were the acts of people who came with their own intentions to destroy, to injure, and to cause chaos. Businesses in our city who were already struggling and suffering under the pandemic are now faced with this. Much of the violence and destruction, both here in Seattle and across the country, has been instigated and perpetuated not by the people most impacted by generations of discrimination and institutional racism, but by young white men. The scenes of destruction continue across the U.S. Officers launching tear gas and rubber bullets in Minneapolis, where George Floyd's death at the hands of police has sparked days of fury. What's happened to George Floyd is indelibly etched into the soul of Minneapolis. New York protests saw police cars set on fire and dozens of officers injured. NYPD SUVs drove into crowds to gain some control. Clearly, we need to do a full investigation and look at the actions of those officers and see what was done and why it was done. In Washington, D.C., an angry mob tried again to get over barriers outside the White House. From Philadelphia to Los Angeles, cities looked like war zones. I prayed that we'd never be back in this type of situation. To see us fall back this far, uh, it hurts. It hurts a great deal. Back in the Northwest, the mayor buoyed by her citizens' efforts, confident they will win the battle in Seattle. I asked what brought her here, and she said, we are not going to let those people take our city down. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, this is what the police in Bellevue are dealing with right now. They've already closed down Northeast. And here's some breaking news. Demonstrations continue in Seattle tonight and a state of civil emergency has been declared in the nearby suburb of Bellevue where looters are damaging property and stealing merchandise. Police say dozens of people broke into Bellevue Square Mall and looted stores. Officers have chased the suspects out. The situation remains active. Bellevue has now enacted a curfew from 5.30 p.m. until 5.30 a.m. tomorrow morning. Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco joins us live from Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Jackson, I know it's been a fluid situation there this evening. What's happening right now? Well, Colleen, for the most part, the protests have been peaceful and the vast majority of the crowd is, but there are still these sort of tit-for-tat situations. Uh, behind me there, you can see the crowds gathered towards the White House. And whatever what happens every once in a while is that you'll see rocks and bottles thrown toward the line of police that's there, and then the police respond with tear gas or pepper spray. Uh, earlier, we saw the protests actually fracture into several groups. They tried to make their way toward the Trump Hotel. Police at that point worked to stop them from moving any further and actually detonated several flashbangs. But then there was a more poignant moment when most protesters actually stopped and took a knee in the streets and several of the riot police joined them in that moment, Colleen. My goodness. Uh, have we heard from the president today? Only on Twitter. And there are calls for him to come forward and say something or do something to bring about some sort of calm. But no, he is essentially sitting on the side and throwing rocks into the situation. And in fact, in many ways, inflaming tensions. 
He has tweeted in all caps demanding law and order. He is suggesting that the protesters out on the street are what he calls Antifa, which is far left-wing protesters, which he says should be branded as domestic terrorists. That, of course, is a slippery slope because Antifa is not a specific organized group. And in other words, it would be very easy to brand everyone who's out on the streets as potential protesters. Uh, Colleen, there are certainly demands to hear from him, but so far he hasn't done that. Now, the late Martin Luther King Jr. said a riot is the language of the unheard. Do the protesters you've spoken to feel they are being heard? You know, it really depends on the day and on the circumstance. Uh, they are glad that they are able to make their voices heard, that's for certain. Uh, the fact that police today at some points came out and engaged one-on-one, -on -one, not in formation, uh, I think was a very powerful sentiment for many of those protesters. But at the same time, this is a conversation that has been started over and over again uh, over the years, and there has never been any resolution to it. And it has reached a boiling point because there is uh, so much tremendous frustration in this country that situations like what we saw in Minneapolis continue to happen time and time again. Jackson Prosco live in Washington tonight. Thanks so much and stay safe. Thousands gathered in front of police headquarters in downtown Montreal today. Organizers said they also wanted to express their own anger at the treatment of racialized people in Quebec and across the country. Because of the pandemic, organizers said they chose a spot where physical distance could be maintained and had masks available. But the number attending made distancing rather difficult at best. To another developing crisis, we're watching closely flooding in parts of the interior and Kootenai boundary. Evacuation orders were issued for this weekend for communities outside Nelson and Grand Forks. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the flood threat is only just beginning for many B.C. communities. As intense thunderstorms dropped entirely too much rain on already swollen creeks, people across the province watching the water closely. We do have emergency services open in Enderby that if people do require sandbags and things like that, they are accessible. Most of South Central BC facing the possibility of flooding. The most significant risk in the West Kootenays. The entire regional district around Castlegar and Nelson under an evacuation alert. Small streams threatening to spill their banks. Dozens of people were forced from their homes overnight in Crawford Bay. The fire chief worried a recently upgraded dike would fail. So we went around as a department and handed out orders to everyone and insisted that they leave the area. More evacuation orders were issued late Sunday afternoon. People along Duhamel Creek on Nelson's North Shore and people living along Broadwater Road in Robson told to leave immediately. The situation changing minute by minute. Because this is a region-wide event, because it has hit us so hard and fast, we are doing a number of tactical evacuations, which means that we're evacuating people uh, based on life safety. In the Boundary region, the news is better. Less rain fell than expected overnight. In Grand Forks, residents still sandbagging, preparing for the worst. But river forecast models show the flood crest on the Kettle will likely be lower than 2018 but still significant. There's some areas that are going to unfortunately see flooding because there's those protective works that just are not possible. While the flood risk for small creeks has been felt immediately, the risk for larger watersheds, especially the Slocan and Selmo rivers, will remain high well into the week as the rain coupled with snowmelt 
makes its way downstream. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A section of Highway 3 near Manning Park washed out today, impacting a nearly two-kilometer stretch of road. The right lane between Allison Pass Summit and Manning Park Resort is closed as crews repair the washout. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now. Yvonne, weather a big part of this story. Yeah, we've been tracking a system just towards the south that pushed up. Thunderstorms over the weekend brought a significant amount of rain locally, 20 and up to 40 for most areas. A few areas of note, Fort Mountain, getting up to Ford Mountain rather getting up to close to 50 millimeters in a few other spots. We're going to continue to watch this and as we look ahead, we still have some active weather this evening, especially for the Kootenai. There is the risk of thunderstorms once again for tomorrow. A bit of a break in between systems, but then the next weather maker is going to bring another round of rain. A significant amount for many areas and towards the interior. We're tracking that on Tuesday. I'll have more coming up very shortly. Colleen? All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Conservation officers are still trying to capture the wolf that attacked a man in remote northwest B.C. on Friday. Several wolf sightings have been seen since the report in Port Edward, a coastal community 15 kilometers southeast of Prince Rupert. But conservation believes only one wolf is behind this attack. They also don't think this predator is tied to wolf activity in Prince Rupert. The victim was attacked late Friday night as he walked home and is now recovering from non-life-threatening injuries. As of tomorrow, June 1st, BC's minimum wage goes up by 75 cents an hour from 13.85 to 14.60 an hour. BC will have the second highest minimum minimum wage in Canada. Alberta has paid its minimum wage workers $15 an hour since October of 2018. A year from now, BC's minimum wage will increase to $15.20 an hour. This increase comes as businesses and workers face challenges due to the pandemic. And they've been hardest hit by the pandemic uh, from a work perspective, you know, the service industry. Uh, A lot of them have been out of work and now they're worried about health and safety and they're worried about putting groceries on the table. And this will be welcome relief. Uh, It's not quite there where we need it to be yet, but it's one of a four year, very predictable progression. So employers knew it was coming year after year. Uh, And it's a small step towards bringing them above the poverty line. Tomorrow is also the day B.C. school children can return for some classroom instruction. But as Grace Key reports, many B.C. parents are clearly divided over whether or not to send their kids back to class. All right, well, come on inside. I'll show you what to do. Teachers at Sands Secondary and Delta put this video together to show parents and students what the new normal will look like on Monday. Step on the spot. B.C. parents have the option of sending their children back to school on a part-time basis. Nicole Cook trusts the recommendations of health officials and is sending her kids back to school. From what we know, children are not um, the transmitters, the super transmitters that we maybe thought they were, carriers that we thought they were, and... Um, you know, in other um, parts of the world where kids have gone back to school, as long as there are really strict um, distancing measures in place, hand washing, things like that, um, there haven't been, you know, outbreaks in, in schools. Not everyone agrees. Patricia Cullen had the coronavirus in March. She started an online petition calling for schools to be closed until the fall. We're creating a situation in which we are asking our children to be responsible for the health and wellness of our communities. And that's an unfair ask. And if I was somebody who had a compromised immune system, I would be terrified that my well-being is in the hands of children. 
In Quebec, 19 students and 22 staff members tested positive for COVID-19 in the first two weeks after reopening. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry says Quebec's numbers were not unexpected, and most often it was an adult who brought the virus into the situation. It is possible, and I would not be surprised if we did have one or two cases perhaps arise in our schools in the coming weeks. But that's okay. We know how to deal with this. We know that it is not easily spread. And we know we can prevent it by putting in place the measures that we have in our schools. Measures the province hopes to learn from come September. Grace Key, Global News. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, tomorrow's return to class is voluntary for students, but not all teachers are on board with this plan. Is it voluntary for them? No, it's not voluntary for teachers. This is part of their employment uh, requirements. They have to come into class, uh, even though they may have some reservations about it. The one exception, though, uh, is, is what's called uh, getting an accommodation from the school district. That's for teachers who have doctor's notes that have, uh, let's say they have a serious enough underlying health condition that they would uh, face unwarranted exposure potentially uh, to COVID-19 and have a, a potentially worse outcome. I just talked to BCTF uh, President Terry Morin about this. She tells me, she estimates about 10% of the teachers right now are seeking an accommodation for the month of June, or at least most of the month of June, which is a little higher than normal, but certainly not out of line necessarily with uh, the usual experience. Again, Dr. Bonnie Henry talking about her, her uh, virtual conference call she had with Terry Maureen and other BCTF members on Friday night, and she said, yes, people were expressing concern, but she walked them through what is a very detailed plan. I've seen a 25-page plan in Surrey, for example, of when it comes to sanitation and other health measures and social distancing. Uh, just like every other workplace that she compares them to. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry. Yes, there was, a, there was concern expressed um, by a number of members, particularly people are concerned about, you know, what does it mean for me if I'm over 65 or if I have a, an illness or what about if I have somebody at home who uh, might be immune compromised? So we had a good discussion about the measures that we're taking are to prevent transmission to everybody. And that reduces the risk, like every other person who's been going to work as well. So again, a reminder, tomorrow the briefings from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix resume again, 3 o'clock tomorrow. We'll be carrying that live on BC1. I have a feeling there's going to be more than one question, Colleen, about returning to school. But uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry has been pretty consistent in her view. It's a safe place to work. All right. Look forward to the briefing with you tomorrow. Something else that's changing tomorrow? Social distancing on transit may be even more challenging as buses start taking more passengers. As COVID-19 restrictions ease, buses will be opening up seating, potentially filling up to two-thirds of the total capacity. Fare collection will resume along with front door boarding. Protective barriers have been installed for the drivers. Now, because riders won't always be able to stay two meters apart, masks or face coverings of some kind are recommended. TransLink says ridership has gone up more than 30% in the last month. As ridership returns to the system, we do need to make sure that customers aren't stranded at stops. And so we have seen some pass-ups occurring where you get full buses. So that's really what's driven this change in increasing capacity on the bus system. Vancouver firefighters are seeing a spike in kitchen fires. As more people cook at home during the pandemic, kitchen fires are up 17 percent and at least four people have been seriously burned. 
Earlier this week, a fire on the ninth floor of this social housing building in the Olympic Village began in the kitchen and spread through the wall through a hood fan. Fortunately, no one was hurt. Fire officials say do not pour water on a grease fire. It will only cause the fuel and the flames to spread. Instead, put a lid on the pot and turn the stove off when it's safe to do so. Use a home fire extinguisher or leave the home and call 911. More than 30 years later, the victims of the Tiananmen Square massacre were remembered in Burnaby today. A wreath was laid at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park in honor of the protesters killed by the Chinese soldiers in 1989. Local residents and advocates for democracy in China braved the rain for the ceremony, donning masks and maintaining a safe distance. An official death toll of the Tiananmen Square massacre has never been released by Beijing, but it's believed to be in the hundreds, if not thousands. And now anti-government protesters in Hong Kong are facing similar threats of violence from the Communist Party of China. A BC couple got quite the surprise after dinner last night. Two black bears sitting down to a meal of their own. Oh my goodness. There's a black bear on the top of the eagle tree. One cub goes up first, raiding the eagle's nest as the birds make a futile attempt to defend their perch. Moments later, Mama Bear lumbers up the tree and joins in on the feast. The video was captured in the Port McNeil area of northern Vancouver Island. Wow. Returning now to our top story, a protest against racism in Vancouver tonight. Paul Johnson is live downtown at the Art Gallery where thousands have gathered. Paul. Colleen, you know, I've been covering demonstrations down here in front of the art gallery since the mid-90s when I started reporting in Vancouver. This is among the biggest that I've ever seen. The organizers were hoping they would get between 500 and 5,000. They've certainly hit that mark. In fact, there may actually be more than 5,000 people down here at this time. So many people, in fact, that most of the people where we are across Georgia Street from the art gallery probably can't hear the talks that have been going on on the steps. They don't have a proper PA system. They've been using a bullhorn, but I don't think that's reduced the power of this moment for the people who have been here. There have been a number of uh, remarkable moments here. Fists raised in the air in unison, a long moment of silence just a short time ago, and people chanting, Black Lives Matter. That's the whole point here. The other point is the organizers wanted this to be peaceful and I can report luckily so far it has been there are still a lot of people down here though one other thing if you have any plans of traversing the city of Vancouver the downtown core by car or you're expecting someone who's making their way through here they've now had to close Georgia Street Howe Street is closed and I believe Hornby is as well it's going to be very congested down here for quite some time Colleen Paul, I'm noticing a few people are wearing masks, but not a lot of social distancing going on. Yeah, social distancing is really not possible in this crowd. And by my reckoning, this has got to be the biggest gathering that's happened since the pandemic lockdown started in BC. I will say more than half the people down here are wearing masks, so hopefully that's a help. I know Dr. Bonnie Henry had expressed some concerns about this. Hopefully this will not end up being a point of contagion with COVID-19. But people are pretty passionate and have good reasons for wanting to come down here. So here they are. All right. Thanks so much, Paul. Well, during the pandemic, mass gatherings of any kind are banned in many places, in, including here. So some of the protests are begging the question, 
will they result in a spike of COVID-19 cases? America is locked in battle, waging war against novel coronavirus while fighting a disease that has plagued the country for centuries. Black people are just tired of having to protest for the same thing year after year after year. It's just like consistent and nothing's changed. With more than 1.7 million confirmed COVID-19 cases in the U.S., the numbers continue to rise. But so do the crowds. Protesters gathering from city to city doing exactly what health officials have spent months urging them not to do. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now. We have two crises that are sandwiched on top of one another. All of it leaving little room for social distancing. Now health officials are bracing for a possible spike in cases. These protests are almost an incubator for coronavirus for a few reasons. Number one, people are in contact with a lot of other people in very close quarters. And number two, they're in contact for a good deal of time, which means that virus can spread back and forth. On top of that, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming and spitting. The growing unrest is complicating efforts to control the virus. In LA, testing centers were closed over the weekend as protests raged. The volunteers who staff these centers still do not feel safe coming back to them. It's a harsh reality. Thousands pleading, value black lives. The very group COVID-19 is hitting the hardest. You were out protesting last night. You probably need to go get a COVID test this week. Because there's still a pandemic in America that's killing black and brown people at higher numbers. How much of a risk is it for people who are out there, even those who are wearing masks? This is a huge risk, whether you wear a mask or not. Even though it does give you a little bit of protection, it doesn't give you full protection. But many say they're left with little choice. I can go home, clean myself up, go get tested, make sure I take proper precautions and do that. But police brutality, I don't know. I don't know what I can't do to not be harassed. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Okay, how's this for a photo op? Another historic moment for members of the first manned commercial spacecraft. We're going to have that right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, thunderstorms and rain wreaked havoc in northern India, damaging some portions of the iconic Taj Mahal monument. Along with the damage in the main mausoleum, the garden was also heavily damaged, with many trees being uprooted. City officials say three people, including a child, were killed during Friday night's thunderstorm due to falling trees and damage to private property. Yvonne, rain also also a big concern in parts of our province. Yes, we're still continuing to track it, especially for the southeastern corners, the Kootenai. I'll have the areas that are underneath the flood watch in just a moment. A quick glance, though, we've got a little bit of a break across the south coast. We'll be just in between systems. It's much needed to dry out. And we are seeing uh, temperatures today getting into the high teens. 17 was the high, or 17 is the current temperature to the airport, and a southeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. Here's some video that was taken over the weekend, a beautiful or gorgeous, fantastic shot in Victoria of the cloud cover showing the storm moving in so thank you so much Corey and Kalamalka Lake uh, taken by Tony fantastic the thunderstorms that rolled into the Okanagan this was captured by Karen and Okanagan Lake so thank you so much we are still seeing lots of instability for the Kootenai this evening and a bit of a break for most areas into the Okanagan highs today we're into the upper teens for most areas across the province Lillooet topping out at 19 degrees it was similar for the northeastern corners and along the coast for Prince Rupert today bumping
bumping up to 14 degrees. Now we are still seeing that instability for the Kootenai area. Most areas along the south coast will start to ease off. Here's what we're anticipating for tomorrow. A little bit of a break, but along the northern half of the province for the north coast, the next system is going to push in as early as the morning hours. Rain and heavy at times for both the north and central coast. It'll continue to intensify and that same system is going to push its way along the south coast and we will be tracking a wetter day on Tuesday. For the flood watch, the following areas that are in orange, the Bonaparte River, Salmon River, Nicola, Okanagan, Similkameen, Boundary and West Kootenai all included within that. The areas that are in yellow, high stream flow advisory will continue to watch this over the next few days. We are going to see some rainfall pushing in once again on Tuesday. That'll be a concern and temperatures will start to climb up as we get in towards later on this week. So check in with the BC River Forecast Centre for the latest. The northern half of the province, rain beginning in the morning. Temperatures will be into the low teens, highs up to 11 degrees. Most areas inland tomorrow will start to see an increase in cloud cover. It does still remain dry for the northeastern corners, a similar weather picture across the central interior, but it's the southern half of the province for tomorrow. The Kootenai still seeing that instability, risk of a thunderstorm. The Columbia could see a few showers popping up as well. Most areas for the Thompson Okanagan, it'll start to clear out drier conditions with the clear skies this evening and for the morning and calm winds. There is a bit of morning fog and then afternoon sunshine. Highs up to 20 degrees. Whistler will get clipped with a chance of showers. Most areas along the south coast. We are going to be seeing a nice break on the way. Highs away from the water, closer to 20 degrees inland tomorrow. And here's a quick glance at the long-range forecast. Tomorrow, a break, partly cloudy, highs up to 18 degrees. It'll be a touch warmer, cooling off on Tuesday. That'll be the blip in the forecast. Along the south coast, it'll be rain and heavy at times. We'll continue to watch that, especially for both the central and southern interior. Looks to rebound Wednesday, Thursday. We'll get back into some much-needed sunshine and temperatures pleasant up to 20 degrees. Colleen? Looks good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. It's an historic event that is so far going very well. NASA and Elon Musk's SpaceX Falcon 9 manned rocket docked at the International Space Station this morning, beginning a new era of commercial spaceflight, one that could eventually take us to Mars. Dragon SpaceX docking sequence is complete. Two NASA astronauts tucked inside the SpaceX Crew Dragon capsule made it to the International Space Station, marking a new era of space travel. We have Bob Behnken from SpaceX Demo 2 mission entering the International Space Station. Followed by Doug Hurley. The Falcon 9 rocket blasted off Saturday afternoon from the Kennedy Space Center. It's the first time a private company, Elon Musk's SpaceX, has launched astronauts in a commercially built spacecraft. Veteran astronauts Bob Behnken and Doug Hurley took the 19-hour trip to the space station in the Crew Dragon capsule. Weather conditions cleared as liftoff approached during the afternoon. A first attempt was scrubbed Wednesday due to threat of lightning. The space agency retired the space shuttles in 2011. Since then, it has paid the Russian space agency to ferry U.S. astronauts to and from the International Space Station. Skyler Henry, CBS News at the Kennedy Space Center. I gotta say, when I see that shot, I think, open the pod bay doors, Hal. Yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey? I just watched it the other night. Oh, good timing. Very good timing. Very good timing. Barry, what was your concern? Uh, well, with Elon Musk, I thought, where are they going to charge the rocket when it oh, obviously you know, needs a recharge halfway to Mars? You don't want that halfway. happening, right? <laughs> good point. What do you got coming up? Uh, well, some encouraging news for the BCHL. Um, you know, they're very concerned with uh, if they can't get any fans, how are they going to have a season? But they're hoping 
uh, that that will change and they will be on ice. So we'll hear from uh, Chris Hebb, their uh, president. And we'll have a story on a young man named Ryan Dingle, who's in the auto racing industry, not as a driver, but as a race engineer, the guy who's in charge of the engine for uh, top performance. Uh, but he doesn't uh, work here in uh, Vancouver or Canada, as a matter oh. of fact. So we'll tell you about that unique story as well. With British Columbians urged to stay close to home this summer, many in the hard-hit tourism industry are hoping to convince you to patronize them. As Paul Johnson reports, that includes BC's sport fishing industry. Setting the downringer off of Point Grey, Jason Asinides is back out on the water after his most challenging spring ever. In a two-month period of the closure, uh, I believe we grossed about $50. $50 more than many businesses, but with a small fleet of charter boats, moorage and staff. Bonchovi Charters has a long way to go to be in the black, but they've got their plan. This boat here is, is almost 11 feet wide. Their charters, he says, come naturally optimized for social distancing. A wide space out in the ocean breeze, augmented by masks, if necessary, and an extra scrub down with bleach on each turnaround. They'll be compliant with the government and hopefully attractive to customers. This is the year to, to consider uh, visiting and uh, going sport fishing in British Columbia. BC's sport fishing industry is worth a billion dollars a year to the province's economy and supports 9,000 jobs. In a typical year, 30% of the charters are booked by foreigners. But with the cruise ship season cancelled and the U.S. border reopening unknown, the challenge is to pivot to local customers. The Sport Fishing Institute's Owen Burt says British Columbians making summer plans would be wise to remember the great bounty we still have in our waters. All of the salmon species, uh, halibut and bottom fish and crabs and prawns. Normally by this time, Asinides would already have done a lot of fishing for early run Chinook salmon. So with hardly any boats on the water so far this spring, you may wonder, What's the fishing like now? We've seen some of the best fishing we've ever seen in our lifetimes. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. You know what, Barry, pandemic or no pandemic, I love that we're talking about hockey and it'll be June 1st tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. Well, usually they'd be handing out the Stanley Cup in the yeah. next week or so. But what I like is that uh, all the sports organizations, pro amateur, trying to come up with solutions to, to get back, get our lives back here. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, BC Hockey League will have, will have a 2020-21 season. BCHL in contact with the uh, provincial government on several fronts. It is still awaiting word on possible funding to aid teams and their communities who had their playoffs canceled when the coronavirus hit. The league is hoping to to start on time come the fall, but they do require paying customers. It's going to be impossible for us to have a season without people in the seats. We're not like professional sports where you can rely on television revenue. Uh, we're going to need to have people in the seats, but we're a long way from the start of our season. And we may have some flexibility around our start time as well. And that is something that the, the premier was happy to hear. We'll push the season back if we have to, Jay, um, and, and, and we've got a sliding schedule that we've created that gives us a number of different start dates. As far as the, the player safety and the fan safety, we went into great detail in the document that we forwarded to the ministry and that they're reviewing. And it's things like us having a chief medical officer for the league who speaks doctor to doctor with the province in terms of what are the things that we need to do to protect the athletes and our officials. 
And we're also in discussions with our arenas to make sure that the fans are in a social distancing scenario. And we would uh, put forward to, to the province uh, the idea of us having a significantly reduced audience base, even down to 25% capacity to begin with. And, and that, I think, is going to allow us to do the social distancing. And finally, one of the things we did put forward and I think is, is in discussion is to have our players wear uh, full face shields. If that is going to help protect them, uh, we, we, would, uh, we would offer that. All right, Bundesliga today, second place Borussia Dortmund taking on last place Paderborn. It took Dortmund a while to get going, but once they did, they were unstoppable. Jaden Sancho with the tap-in that made it 2-0 Dortmund, and then Sancho with a message of support for George Floyd, who was killed during a police takedown in Minneapolis earlier in the week. Sancho had a big day, scored the hat-trick, including this ripper to the corner. Dortmund wins 6-1. They're now seven points back of Bayern Munich with just five matches to go in the regular season. NASCAR back at it today at Bristol, Tennessee for the Food City 500. Chase Elliott, who won midweek in Charlotte, is in fine form right now with the pass here on Ryan Blaney to take the lead. Elliott won the first two stages. Not a lot of crashes since NASCAR's return. One mini one here as Ryan Blaney gets loose and then gets clobbered here by Ty Dillon. Both guys done for the day. Three laps to go. Chase Elliott and Joey Logano battling for the lead. Elliott in the nine car bumps Logano into the wall and takes both racers out of it. And the benefactor is Brad Keselowski, who won the Coca-Cola 600 last Sunday, wins again as he takes the checkered flag at Bristol. Well, auto racing is certainly a global sport. A Coquitlam man has taken a journey east to the far east where he's found success not as a driver but as a race engineer who analyzes the data to achieve the best performance from driver and car. Here's the story of Ryan Dingle. Japan has always had a certain mystique for Coquitlam's Ryan Dingle. He has spent most of the past 10 years there, immersing himself into the culture and turning into one of Japan's top auto race engineers. You know, the brainy guys who are in charge of the fine tweaks and adjustments to the engines that make race cars as fast as possible. How does a kid from Coquitlam end up in the Far East with a successful career in one of the top racing circuits in the world? Well, as they say, it all started at the beginning, the very beginning for Ryan. Oh, it started right from a very, very early age. He was, uh, wasn't even walking, and that was his first, uh, wor- first words he said was car, car, car. When I was younger, I did, did a bunch of stuff with Lego and just putting together cars all day in the basement while my parents were upstairs. So, yeah, it's always been cars for me. Ryan ended up getting an engineering degree at UBC, but desperately wanted to have a career in auto racing. So he got into the prestigious master's program at Oxford Brookes University in the United Kingdom, which specializes in the science of race engines. I was lucky enough to learn under sort of a a bit of a legend there. The, The main professor on the engine side had spent 25 or 30 years in Formula One and one was a designer of, uh, one of the engines that won sort of several championships in a row. Ryan then moved back to Japan where he started his career, first as a part-timer on weekends and after some quick success was hired full-time. 
Ryan's hope is that he will one day make it to Formula One, the pinnacle of auto racing. But first, he'll need to really have great success in Japan and then catch a break. I hope that uh, the connections that I can make with some of the drivers will, will lead me into that sort of realm where I can, I can then be introduced via the driver to some people in Europe and then sort of expand my horizon more out of Japan into Europe and, and the U.S. if possible. I'm pretty proud of him, uh, his mom and I, uh, that he's following his passion. We always said if you can marry uh, your, uh, your passion and your profession, you're going to be uh, uh, a happy person. Well, he also ended up marrying a Japanese girl and has two young children, which explains this. That's success any way you say it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, great young man, great family, and their season with COVID, of course, has been uh, changed, and they will start again in July, so he's happy about that. So hopefully maybe one day we'll see him in F1. Wouldn't that be something? Time now for our nightly thank you to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we are honoring Lara Gurney and Lori Quinn. Both are members of the Vancouver General Hospital Emergency Department leadership team. Lara is a nurse educator, and Lori is a nurse and the patient services manager. Laura and Lori have been outstanding during this crisis. They began to act on the problem early and they have tirelessly communicated with staff, ensuring that they have the most up-to-date policies and information to care for their patients and to protect the frontline workers. So thank you to you both and thank you to your teams as well. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few photos to BC Healthcare Heroes with a description to globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your healthcare hero. Very nice, very nice. Um, Listen, a local charity has had to change gears to help bring smiles to kids' faces. The Driven Project puts kids with special needs into the passenger seats of high-end vehicles, but today they found a new way to bring some joy safely. Mm A very special luxury vehicle parade quickly became the highlight of this Vancouver neighborhood. Volunteers driving their fancy cars, much to the delight of the kids, some of whom have diabetes and would otherwise be unable to take part in events because of the pandemic, of course. It's emotional. <laughs> it's, it's humbling and uh, he goes through a ton of stuff that a lot of people don't see. Uh, it's not an easy disease to live with, it's 24-7. And uh, if we can do anything to make him feel special and other kids like him feel special, it's just awesome all around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the best part of owning a car like this. I mean, it's, it's cool, it's fast, it's fun, but what we've been able to build around that car with the Driven Project is by far the best part about it because you get to see the, the looks, the smiles, and hear the laughs of these kids. Nice. I love that volunteers. And the old, all the neighbors were probably out today, too, which you, is kind of fun, taking a look. You bet they were. <laughs> I love it. Okay, we want to leave you tonight with a musical ode to the demonstrators that are, demonstrations rather, that are happening around the world. UBC President Santa Ono posted the video to Twitter in dedication to George Floyd and to those suffering racial injustice. Thanks for watching. Have a good night and stay safe.